Well, turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 21, of course, we've been going through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and all that. We saw Samuel to begin with. We saw Saul, the first king. We're seeing David, the second king. We will continue on into 1 Kings and go the first 11 chapters, and that's where we'll see the life of, Saul, of Solomon. And so we're looking at David right now, and David is a man after God's own heart. He is incredible. We're nearing the end, and uh, this is what a lot of times people call this David's last days. It's chapters 21, 22, 23, and 24. They all sort of go together. I'll talk more about it in just a minute. When we think about the book, we divide it into two big parts, and chapters 1 through 10, we called it David in triumph because he became the king of Israel. Everything went good. He defeated all his enemies. He did everything. Then beginning in chapter 11 is where he had his sin with Bathsheba, and the rest of the time, we call it David in trouble because there's just been conflict and problems one after another, people dying, families, uh, his sons rebelling against him, just all kind of things. So we're in this final section, and in this final section, we're going to see some wars, we're going to see David's mighty men, we're going to see David has a census, and it means he counts the soldiers, and we'll see why is that a problem, and what happened, and we'll see it as we go through that. Now let me just remind you that most believe that these last four chapters are not chronological order. They're just kind of a summary. Whoever wrote 2 Samuel, we don't know who wrote it, whoever wrote 2 Samuel most likely took some things and said, I want to put these things in. Of course, this is God, the Holy Spirit, doing this. And, and there are events that happen in David's life, but they're not necessarily in the chronological order. But let me give you some ideas of things we're going to think about as we go through our passage. We're going to talk about that sin has consequences. We're going to look at the idea of, of being a person of character, keeping our word. We're going to see trusting God in the trials, and then we're going to see the idea of loyalty. And so there's a lot there. So let me, let me start off by saying, before we get to our passage, you remember when David was about 15 years old, he went to see a battle, and the, the, the Israelites were battling the Philistines. On one hill were the Philistines, on the other hill were the Israelites, and the Philistines had this giant. His name was Goliath. He was nine feet nine inches tall. He would come out and challenge the nation of Israel. Nobody would go fight. David's about 14, 15 years old. He comes, he says, I'll go fight the guy, and they tried to give him Saul's armor. It was too big. So he picked up, if you remember, five stones. And some people say, why did he pick up five stones? He picked up five stones, took his sling, went and did this and hit Goliath right there, sunk in, he fell over, David went and pulled out his sword and cut his head off. So there's speculation. People look at that and say, why did David take five stones? Did he think maybe he'd miss a couple of times or, or it may hit him and bounce off or who knows what would happen? Well, there's a lot of traditions and a lot of things. And some people think that Goliath, this giant, had four sons or four dependents, four people connected with him. And that if David, that maybe people even told David, David, if you kill that big guy, he's got four sons that are just as big. And, and maybe that's why David took five stones. We don't know. Well, when we look at this passage, we're going to look at some things and we're going to see that there are giants, they are called descendants from Goliath. So are they sons of Goliath? Are they relatives of Goliath? Are they, who are they and what are they? And we'll look at it as we go through our passage. So there's, there's a lot of good things. When we look, we're going to see a contrast between Saul, who didn't keep his word, and David, who keeps his word. And we're going to talk about keeping our word and doing the right things. Now, something that's unusual, I just wanted to show you, uh, that the last four chapters, 21, 22, 23, and 24, form what's called a chiasm. Now, in, in the Greek, the, the letter chi is an X. It looks like this. And so it's the idea of something's here, and then here, and then here, and then it goes backwards. And let me show you what I mean. 
In chapter 21, we see the Lord's wrath against Israel. We'll look at the last one, the Lord's wrath against Israel. This one's David's heroes. Over here, it's David's mighty men. This is David's song of praise. This is David's last word. So it's a chiasm. It, uh, it goes like that to that to that, and then it goes backwards, that to that to that. So song of praise, last words. David's heroes, David's mighty men. Lord's wrath against Israel, Lord's wrath against Israel. So Sometimes in the Bible, when you study it, it's, since it's God's word, it is unique and perfect. Sometimes you look at the Psalms or Proverbs or something, and you'll see a chiasm. Sometimes even in the Gospels, they'll have a story that Jesus says, and it'll start, before the story begins, it'll say, last will be first, first will be last. Then there's a story, and then it ends by saying, first will be last, last will be first. And so you see this in the Bible. Well, in these last four chapters, we'll see that as we go through it. It's not, it's not something that you want to, you know, get all upset about or just try to figure out about. It's just kind of an amazing thing. Here is the outline for our passage this morning. We'll go fast through it. <clears throat> We're going to see the judgment on Saul's house. Why? What happened? We'll see the death and burial. And then we'll see some battles. And David almost gets killed and we'll see defeating the giants and, and all of those kind of things. So it's, it's going to be pretty interesting. So as we start this, there is a consequence for not keeping your word. You realize that if you said, I will do something and you don't, there are consequences there. We're going to see that Saul went back on God's word and what God had told. So we'll see how it fits together. Look at chapter 21. Look at verse 1. Now, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the presence of the Lord. And the Lord said, it is for Saul and his bloody house because he put the Gibeonites to death. Now, let's stop. This most likely was early in David's kingdom. This is not at the end because Saul has died. David is the king. When David's the king, there's now three years of a famine. And David actually goes to the Lord and says, why is there a famine in the land? What's going on? And the Lord tells him, it says, it is for Saul and his bloody house because he put the Gibeonites to death. Now, I want you to think about it. They have three years and God is bringing judgment on the nation. Well, why? Because Saul killed the Gibeonites. And you go, who are the Gibeonites? What's the deal? Well, I want to remind you of something. When Joshua... They got ready and they, they came to take the promised land. You remember they crossed the Jordan and they came in and they defeated Jericho. They walked around and shouted and the walls fell down and they were defeating all their enemies. And everybody knew that the Israelites with Joshua was going to conquer the land. There were a group of people called the Gibeonites and they lived about 10 miles away from where the Jews were. So they got together, these Gibeonites, and they made up a plan. They pretended to put on really old clothes, and they had food that was like old food, and they pretended to come from a long way away. And they came to Joshua, and they said, we've come from a long way away, and we want to be in this land. Would you not kill us like you're killing all the people in the land? And Joshua, it actually says in the Bible that Joshua didn't consult the Lord. Joshua went, okay, okay, if you've come from a long way, we won't kill you. We'll make a covenant with you that we won't kill you. And then right after that, they found out that the Gibeonites had lived 10 miles away and had lied to them. And Joshua said, you guys are liars, but we're going to keep our word. We said we would not harm you. You can stay here. We're not going to kill you like we're going to kill the rest of everybody. That's who the Gibeonites were. So the nation of Israel made a promise to the Gibeonites 
they would not destroy them. Now watch what happened. It says here, now there was this famine in the land for three years, year after year, and David sought the presence of the Lord, and the Lord said, it is for Saul and his bloody house because he put the Gibeonites to death. Saul killed the Gibeonites. Saul went back on the promise. The promise was Gibeonites could always live safely. Saul said, I don't care, I'm gonna kill them anyway. And notice what this says. It says, so the king called the Gibeonites, here's David's calling the Gibeonites, and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the sons of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the sons of Israel made a covenant with them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the sons of Israel and Judah. So Saul broke the agreement. Saul lied. Saul went back on their word. And what God is saying to the nation of Israel, you can't go back on your word. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. And so God has brought a famine on the land because what Saul has done. Now, one thing I want you to, to, to think about is that uh, our actions affect others. God is serious about keeping our word. It is easy for you to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be glad to help you. Don't worry, I'll be there. What day? Tuesday, I'll be there. Then something comes up and you go, oh, I, oh, I told him I'd go, but I, I don't want, I'm sorry, I can't make it. What? You just went back on your word. You may say, oh, that's no big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And when we say we're going to do something, we should do it. We should be men and women who keep our word. If you don't want to, if you don't want to do it, don't make a promise to do it. Don't say, I'll do it, unless you know you're going to do it. And so God says, we, the nation of Israel, made a promise not to kill or hurt the Gibeonites. Saul went back on that. And because of that, there's a famine. Because of that, there's a famine in the land. So what's David going to do? And, and we must realize that God is serious about us keeping our word. So what does David do? He calls the Gibeonites, and as I just read that verse, he called them in, and it just says that they were not part of the Israelites, but Saul was trying to kill them. And so look at verse 3. David said to the Gibeonites, what should I do for you, and how can I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? So David comes to the Gibeonites, and he says, what do you want? How can I make atonement? How can I cover this up? How can I make sure this is okay so that there'll be blessing again and the famine will end? Now, David is actually saying, what do we need to do, Gibeonites, to make it right so everything will be okay and then God will bless us again? And so what are the Gibeonites going to say? Look at verse 4. The Gibeonites said to him, we have no concern of silver or gold with Saul or his house, nor is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And so then David says, well, I will do for you whatever you say. Now, they start off and saying, well, the truth is, we, we're not really looking for money, and Saul is dead, uh, and, and it's not really our place to, to do this. And then David says, okay, what do you really want? What do you really want? And look what the next verse says. So they said to the king, the man who consumes us and who planned to exterminate us from remaining within the borders of Israel, let seven men from his sons be given to us and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, David said, I'll give them. What? They said, listen, um, that one man Saul is dead. He wanted to wipe us out. He is dead. So really, we need to get his descendants. Now, if you're one of Saul's descendants, you're saying, wait, what, what, what did y'all say? You're talking, about, you're talking about picking me out of a crowd? I didn't do anything. Well, you're a descendant of Saul. Saul broke his word. The Gibeonites want seven people to suffer because they, we broke our word. 
See, sometimes we don't realize that when we don't do what we say, when we're not people of character, when we don't keep our word, sometimes people suffer. Sometimes things go wrong. And so this is really a hard passage to me because these seven guys, now let me tell you something in a minute, I'm going to put it up, but who knows? They may have had a part in killing the Gibeonites. Who knows? We don't know about them, but they're going to pick out some people. And, so, and David says, okay, I'll do that. And uh, so think about this. Saul breaks the covenant. Seven of his descendants will die. And how we live makes a difference. Sin affects others, not just ourselves. And when we do something wrong, when we don't keep our word, when we violate the scripture, we think it only affects us. No, it could affect others as well. So look what happens. Look at verse 7. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath of the Lord, which was made between them, between David and Saul's son, Jonathan. Now, Saul and Jonathan, that was David's best friend, they had, he had a son named Mephibosheth. If you remember, when they were alive, Jonathan said to David, if I die, you take care of my kids. David said, if I die, you take care of my kids. Well, Jonathan got killed. The only kid left, really, from, from just Jonathan was a guy by the name of Mephibosheth. We've already seen him in the book. David has kept, kept his word, and he's taken care of Mephibosheth. We know that. But what about the rest of the people? And, and here's the thing I think is beautiful. David is going to spare Mephibosheth, and I want you to realize something. Saul didn't keep his word, the covenant, but David keeps his word, the promise he made to Jonathan. Wow. I, I raised this in the first service. Do you think God cares whether you keep your word or not? Well, you think? I'd say, yeah. You think it's fairly important? Do you think showing us in the scripture that seven people are going to die because Saul didn't keep the word? You think it's important that we be men and women of character and that we keep our word? So watch what happens. So the king, this is, it makes me really sad. And I mean, I, I think this is one of the hardest passages, you know, in the Bible. Look what it says. So the king cook took the two sons of, a, of somebody named Rizpah and the daughter of Ai, uh, Armoni and Mephibosheth. This is a different Mephibosheth, whom she had borne to Saul, and the five sons of Merab, the daughter of Saul, whom, he, whom she had borne to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Meholathite. So they've taken seven of Saul's descendants' sons through these different women. They've taken them. And watch what they're going to do. Then he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the mountain before the Lord, so that the seven of them fell together, and they were put to death in the beginning days of the harvest, in the beginning of the barley harvest. So they took these seven people, five from, from one lady and two from another lady. They took those sons, and they brought them out. And it says here, they gave them to the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the mountain. Now, let me tell you, if you picture a rope around their neck, that's a possibility that they hung them, but most likely they put them on a pole and stuck the pole all the way through them. That's how they hung people. That's what hung means. They, they impaled him on a pole. So they took these seven people and, and impaled him on a pole. And they did it at the beginning of the barley harvest. You might say, that doesn't, it doesn't seem right. Uh, and sometimes we say things like, you know, sometimes somebody does something wrong and somebody else suffers for it. It does happen. It does happen. And who knows? These particular men or families may have been involved in breaking of the covenant. They may have had part in trying to kill the Gibeonites. We just don't know. Saul didn't keep the covenant. David keeps his. So I want to bring this up. Let's be men and women who keep our word. What we say, we do. 
So be careful when somebody says, will you be willing to do this? And you say, oh yeah. Just remember, you just made a commitment. You just said your word. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So let's just say and do, and we just want to be men and women of character. Let's, let's do that. The Bible says it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. So we sometimes say it doesn't really matter. It, I think it does. This passage shows us that. So watch what happened. This is one of the saddest things you're going to see in the Bible. Watch. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ahab, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until it rained on them from the sky. And she allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on them by day, nor the beast of the field by night. Now this woman who lost two of her sons, another lady lost five sons, she comes out there, takes a sackcloth, which was show mourning, she lays it out, she's basically right there by those seven bodies, and during the day, she won't let the birds land on them to eat them, and at night, she stays there all day and all night, and she runs the animals off so they won't get to the bodies. She does this. And, and, and she does this until the, basically until it rains. See, when it rains, that'll be the end of the famine. And it'll show that everything's back to normal. And so she's out there waiting and trying to protect those bodies. From the, because in the beginning of the barley harvest until the rains came, and that, that's the end, the famine would be over. Now, because of what she did, watch the next verse. It was told David that Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. So what did David do? Then David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh Gilead, who had stolen them from the open square of Bethshean where the Philistines had hanged them on the day the Philistines struck down Saul and Gibeah. He brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there, and they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. Now that's a lot, a little verse there. I wanted to just put this up for you. Oh, David took the bones of Saul and Jonathan. You remember in the battle with the Philistines, Jonathan and Saul both got killed. And when the Philistines found them, they took the bodies, cut off their heads, and stuck their bodies up and nailed them to the wall of the city of Bethshan. The Philistines did that. Some men from Jabesh Gilead, Jewish men, snuck at night, crawled in, took the bodies off the wall, and came and buried them. All this time has passed. So David now says, well, I see what's going on. So what I'm going to do, he goes and he goes to the men of Jabesh Gilead and says, give me the bones of Saul, give me the bones of Jonathan, and let's get those seven bodies, let's get those, and let's all bring them and bury them. And look what he says. It says, they, they brought, the, verse 13, they brought the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan from there, and they gathered the bones of those men who had been hanged. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zelah, in the grave of Kish, his father. Thus they did all that the king commanded, and after that, God was moved by the prayer of the land. So they went and took Jonathan and Saul's bones, and they buried them in the grave of Saul's father, Kish. So... Basically, David says, this is what should have been done a long time ago. These bones should have been taken where, where they grew up. And these seven guys, we need to take those bones down and put them where they should go. And when they did that, it started to rain and the famine was over. And it says, and that, after that, God was moved by the prayer for the land. And so they took the bones of Saul and Jonathan, buried them all, and, and took care of it. And then the famine was over. Wow. Uh, 
I want to put this up. The nation was suffering because Saul didn't keep the covenant. Now, y'all, that seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? You look at the scripture. Does God say it's important to keep your word? Does God say that when we make a covenant, we should keep our covenant? When we make a vow, should we keep our vow? When we say yes, yes, should, no, no, we should do what we say. And sometimes people say, it just doesn't matter. I mean, you, you can't do it. You just say, oh, I, I said I would do it, but I can't do it. Well, just this passage alone to me shows that God says what you say is what you ought to do. And he held them accountable. He held the nation of Israel accountable for Saul breaking his word to the Gibeonites. So what about us? The truth is this. We never sin in a vacuum. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. Sin affects others, ourselves, our relationship with God, our family. So it's never in a vacuum. Saul didn't keep his word. David did. We need to be men and women of character. And when we say character, not only that we live righteously and godly in a fallen world, but just in the fact of, of keeping our word. And some people will say, well, that's kind of a little thing. I don't think God considers it a little thing. At least not in this passage. So let's be men and women who are men of character, men and women of character, and we keep our word. Now, the last of the passage is kind of, kind of fun, okay? We're going we're gonna to see the giants. There's four giants here, and this is taking us, uh, we're not sure exactly when it was. It may be a little further along in the kingdom. And notice this. Now, when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, and of course, at, at the end of David's life, we don't see that. So this is probably sometime when David is older as the king, but not all the way to the end. It says, when the Philistines were at war with Israel, David went down with his servants with him, and they fought against the Philistines. David became weary. Uh-oh. You know, here's David. David's a warrior. David's a fighter, man. I mean, you want David on your side, you know? And David, but David, something's happened, and David's gotten weary, and notice the next verse. Then Ishbi Benab, who was among the descendants of the giant. Now, read that. He was of the descendants of the giant. Well, who's the giant? In Samuel, First and Second Samuel, the only one called the giant is Goliath from Gath. So, just think about this. There's this man named Ishbi Benab, who was among the descendants of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight. He was girded with a sword, and he intended to kill David. This man, Ishbi Benab, was going to kill David, this giant man. And, and but let me throw this out. I said it in the first service. Some people, uh, they, they don't want to say that these were real giants. I read a thing just the other day that said that at the time of King David, the average man's height was about 5'5". Five five. If you go back, if you go look to the 1800s, go to the 1860s, 1870s, the average man in America was about 5'8". That's the average height. Some people say that these giants were seven feet tall, and that's why they looked so big to everybody else. But if you read the Bible, it describes Goliath, and it says he's nine feet nine inches tall. I think he is a giant. And I think these descendants are giant people as well. So this giant guy, this guy named Ishbi Benab, was going to kill David. And I think he is a descendant. It says he was a descendant of the giant. But look what happened, verse 17. But Abishai, the son of Zerah, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, you shall not go out again with us to battle so that you do not extinguish the lamp of Israel. David's old enough that they say to him, you don't need to go fight because you got yourself in trouble and you almost got killed. Now, who is Abishai? You remember who Abishai is? David had a sister. 
she had three sons, Joab, Ashiel, and Abishai. Ashiel got killed earlier. Abishai is a great warrior. Joab, we all know who Joab is. He's the guy that kills people. He's not a man of character. He's tough. But this is David's nephew, Abishai. Abishai has always been loyal and faithful to David, always. And he kills this guy to keep him from killing David. And then they all say, David, you, you better hold up. Notice, notice as we go on. Now, it came about after this, there was a war again with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai, the Hushite, struck down Seth, who was among the descendants of the giant. Now, here's another guy. We got a guy named Sibachai. He's one of David's mighty men. By the way, when we get to the end and they start listing all the mighty men, he's one of them. And it says he fought one of the descendants of the giants and killed him. So that's a big giant guy as well, and he killed him. And then we got another one. Look at there, the verse 20. Uh, Let's see, verse 19. And there was also a war with the Philistines at Gob, and Elhanan, the son of Jeri Orgim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose beam was like, uh, of spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, who is this? Some people say, well, I thought David killed Goliath. Well, he did. This is another, another Goliath. In fact, this is probably Goliath's son. If you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 5, it, it implies that this Goliath was the son of the other Goliath. So it's not unusual for a man to name his son after him. And so this Goliath, who was a descendant of Goliath, was killed by, by Elhanan. And then we got one more. We're not through. We're not through. We got three of the four. And here's the fourth one. There was a war at Gath again, and there was a man of great stature who had, look at this, six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also had been born to the giant. So all of them said he's a man of great stature. We don't have his name. He's got all that. You could see people say, let me show me your six fingers. Yeah, I got six fingers. I got six fingers. I got, look at my toes. I got six toes. And he was weird. I mean, he was, people would come up and go, look at this guy. But he is really big. He's really big. He's a descendant of the giant. And what happened there? When he defiled Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. This is one, another one of David's nephews. He, he killed him. He killed him too. So Jonathan killed him. And so look at the last verse. These four were born to the giant in Gath. Who is in all of First and Second Samuel, there's only one person called giant from Gath, and that's Goliath. This verse seems to indicate these four people were descendants, maybe sons of Goliath. It says these four were born into the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hands of his servants. So it goes back to the, these four were born to the giant. It goes back to the tradition that when David picked up five stones, one was for Goliath and four for these other giants. Now, to be honest, I have no idea. Well, nobody knows. Did David know that the man he was fixing to fight had four sons that were giants as well? Could it have been when David got ready to go fight, they said to him, now listen, if you kill a big guy, there's four of them, his four sons are right behind him. And so maybe David said, well, I better get five stones instead of one. Who, who knows? We do not know. But tradition says David got the five stones so he could kill the four descendants. We see four of the descendants of the giant killed here in chapter 21. 
So what are we saying? God brings a famine on the land because Saul broke the covenant with the Gibeonites. Sin has consequences. There were seven descendants put to death, and the famine ended. David spared Mephibosheth because he kept his word even though Saul didn't. And then we see the wars with the Philistines and four descendants. So let me go quickly. That Let's realize that sin has consequences. Expect discipline when we sin. Saul broke the covenant. There's famine in the nation. We never sin in a vacuum. Just realize that you may think it's just you and God that when you do something wrong, and sometimes I, you know, I th- it's just me and you, God, and then God says, no, it's not. It's going to affect other people as well. And the truth is we don't sit in a vac- vacuum. It affects others. Expect discipline. The Bible says that, that the Lord, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges. And the Bible says that if our earthly fathers discipline for our good, how much more our heavenly Father disciplines us for our good. So let's realize that sin has consequences. Let's be people of character, especially dealing with keeping our word, because this is what this passage is dealing with. Saul didn't keep his word, David did. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If we want to stand out in this fallen culture, all we have to do is just live by Scripture. All we have to do is keep our word. All we have to do is be men and women of character. The third thing, and we'll go quickly, is let's trust God in the trials of life. That's what David did. I love this, uh, whoops, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and make your path straight. That's what David did. He trusted God in, in the good things and the bad things. He always did. And that's what we have to do. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. That means put him first. He'll make your path straight. One of the other translations says, and, and you know, he, he will straighten your path out or something like that. Uh, he will show you the way to go. The bottom line is he'll take care of you. When you live for him, he'll live for us and take care of us. And then finally, let's be loyal. And, and we see it. We see Abishai loyal. We see his men loyal to David, even in all of these things. And uh, see David's mighty men. Let me put it this way. Uh, we need to be loyal we need it to the ones that we serve. We serve the living God. He saved us. He loves us. We should serve him. And then there are times that we're loyal to people, to fellow believers and even unbelievers, people that we've made commitments to, people that we said we'll do. So we want to be men and women of character. And as the, the four applications really are, Realize sin has consequences. Be people of character. Trust God. And let's be loyal and do what's right.